0: So this morning we are going to talk about relationships, and I wonder who here interacts with people ever? Anyone have family? Do you have friends? Anybody have a job? Can you work for somebody, or maybe people work for you? Anyone? Well, that's that's our life, right? The blessing and the curse of relationships, and that's really what we're going to talk about today. Um, you know, there are some people who do manage. To not have relationships, and you know, it actually takes effort to not have relationships. Um, just this is the way the world works; is the way God did it that we would have relationships. Um, have you heard of people who go off the grid? Have you heard of that? It's people who. It's generally like about like utilities, like people provide their own electricity, and they you know put in solar panels, and I don't know what they do, and they come off of the electric grid. And you could do that, but you come off the water grid, and you dig a well, and you provide your own water. Probably those are the same people who, like, really go hardcore with the farming, and they have gardens, and they have chickens, and maybe they have cows, and the whole purpose is to come off the grid, to not be dependent on people, and provide for your own needs. And um, I just think that's interesting because don't you think you might want to go off the grid relationally too? (laughs) And we do that sometimes in a little bit. Like you can go a little bit if you say, I'm not going to be on Facebook. I'm not going to be on Twitter. I'm not getting a a Gmail account. I screen my phone calls. Like you could maybe come off the grid relationally. and I think sometimes a relationship goes that way where you want to pull the plug on it. And today we're going to talk about what Jesus says relationships look like in his kingdom. And you're not allowed to go off the grid. <laughs> no, There's no loners, there's no hermits in God's kingdom. We are meant to be in relationship. Um, so if you're trying with that idea, you can just stop. <clears throat> So what we're going to start with is, who are you in relationship with? Um, Which which relationships do you interact the most with? Um, Which I think that's obviously the people you see, the people you're looking at, the people who live in your home, um, your neighbors, if, if you interact with them. I know plenty of people don't. But think about the people you actually interact with. And I think... You could take that just one step further. The relationships, I was thinking about, the relationships where you don't actually interact with the person, but the relationship is all-consuming. Think about the people that you have kind of unplugged from, but like one email from that person sends you off. Or um, maybe a past relationship that you don't, have any relationship with anymore, but one memory jogs something and you're right back in it again. Those relationships that consume us and maybe even take up more energy than the people sitting at our dinner table. So just on your note guide, there's space to list five relationships. And so just think about the ones that you think take up the most time for you, the ones you're the most intimate with. And go ahead and jot down those relationships and share them around your table. Let's get going Let's see what Jesus has to say about our relationships Now that you've brought to mind all your good relationships and maybe not so good ones Let's see what Jesus has to say about those relationships We are going to be in Matthew chapter 5 today So if you want to flip there Um, So this section, remember, I'm just going to refresh your memory or catch you up if you haven't been here So the Sermon on the Mount, that began with the Beatitudes, Um, and it doesn't, the Sermon on the Mount is not just the Beatitudes, it's actually that whole long section. It actually includes all of chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7, it's this really long section. Um, And we actually began it, Jesus' ministry began in chapter 4, remember? the end of chapter 4, it said Jesus began his ministry, and he said, Repent, for the kingdom is near. And then it kind of quickly goes into the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew's first documented teaching from Jesus. So the Beatitudes then, remember, they summarized the kind of people that God is looking for and who is in his kingdom. Um, And then he spends the rest of that sermon giving examples about how those people live. Um, And it's certainly not all-inclusive. You'll see we have just beginning to tap on lots of these different areas. That Last week, when Margie taught about prayer, that was part of that sermon. Saying, his people, they pray like this. And today we're going to look at relationships. And saying that his people relate to people like this. So we are going to just read these sections about relationships. So it's in Matthew chapter 5. You are probably familiar with this portion, and so I actually included the first few verses on your note guide. It's the voice translation. It's this Bible translation. It's really good. If you are not familiar with it, I would just really recommend it as, like, another translation. You know everybody recommends that you read the Bible in multiple translations just because it helps you get the bigger picture of it. Sometimes one version doesn't do anything for you or you've read it a million times and you just skim right over it and go, yeah, 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 I got that. And then when you read it in another translation, sometimes just that one word goes right through you. And if you are thinking about getting another translation, this one's really a neat one. Um, just because it's really, really beautiful. If you like the message, this is similar. Um you know the message is a paraphrase? This is actually a translation if you care about that little difference, but this one, it's written like, you know, I didn't mean to tell you all this, but I'll just keep telling you. This one, it's written like a play. And so when you're reading the Gospels then, and it's all this dialogue, It do, it is written that instead of like, well, Jesus said this, and then this person said that, and then this one said... It just, it shows it like a play, and you can just read right through it, and... All of the description about the setting is written like a play. It's just really interesting. So you might like it. All that being said, (laughs) blah, 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 right? (laughs) Let me read you this part. And it is chapter 5, verses 21 through 26. It says, As you know, long ago, God instructed Moses to tell his people, Do not murder. Those who murder will be judged and punished. But here is the even harder truth. Anyone who is angry with his brother will be judged for his anger. Anyone who taunts his friend, speaks contemptuously toward him, or calls him loser or fool or scum will have to answer to the high court. And anyone who calls his brother a fool may find himself in the fires of hell. Um, Okay, I'm going to stop right there. So this part, do not murder, that's an old law. That's from the Old Testament. Everyone knew that one, and I mean, we know that too. That's like deep in our core. Don't murder. Like, we got that. And so everyone's familiar with that. And this section is Jesus not changing the law. He makes it very clear he's not changing anything. He's really just giving, like, the Father's intention. Like, what he meant when he said that. Because at this point, people are like, added to it and twisted it a bit. So he is giving the Father's heart on what he meant when he said do not murder years and years ago to Moses. Um, So I think only a few of us are actually responsible for somebody's death. And um, the rest of us then go, phew, I'm good. The law is do not murder. The majority of us say "I'm, I'm good with that and you can just... Go ahead and put me in the good category, and I'll be on my way. And But here, Jesus is drawing that line from murder to anger, and now he's got everybody's attention right off the bat, right? That only this small group of people feel responsible for or are responsible for somebody's death. And now Jesus immediately goes, You thought it was only murder? It's really the anger, and I think he knows we we all now are guilty of that. Now, I don't believe that Jesus is trying to make us feel bad, as it's getting silent in here. is <laughs> not saying, you fools, you don't know what you're doing, you're horrible people, and in case you thought you were good, you're not. That's not his heart at all. Remember that God's conviction and repentance is his kindness. But I think really he's saying, don't be so quick to think you've got this. He doesn't want you to end up in the wrong kingdom. And so his conviction is, let me save you. If you know you need a Savior, I can save you. But you got to know you need me. And so it's not Jesus being nasty, trying to like make you all feel bad, don't think anyone's off the hook here, but really saying, I can help everybody. Don't think you don't need me. I'll help you. Um, So, but it does raise a question. Is Jesus saying that you can never be angry? And um, you've heard the term righteous anger, right? And I know plenty of us like to justify our anger, and like, is anger ever okay? This definitely raises that question. Um, And if you are someone who feels angry about things or gets passionate about things like that. I know you might even have bookmarked Mark chapter 11 where Jesus storms the temple area and throws the tables over. And you go, see, Jesus got angry too. And maybe maybe you're feeling that way. And I think that anger like that is sometimes okay, right? There is that passion and that anger... That is against the evil in the world. And that rises within us, and it does make us do something. So there is a point where anger against evil is appropriate, but that's not what Jesus is talking about here. So this is talking about anger within relationships. And the the definition, I guess, for anger in the Life Application Bible says, it's a seething, brooding bitterness against someone. So this is so much different than fighting against a cause, right? A seething, brooding bitterness against someone. And not just anyone, but that someone, he says, is our brother, our sisters, our families, the people in those close relationships, but I think even most specifically, other believers that are brothers and sisters in Christ, a seething, brooding bitterness against them. Um, he's not talking about our enemies here or the people who we hate or are distant from us. These are the people who are close to us. And it's true, right, that our closest relationships can bring out the strongest emotions. So I think it's appropriate that he brings this up because haven't we all felt this way? Um My youngest daughter, Jada. She's still little, so I can like still tell you about her. Um, So she's four, and she is passionate, dramatic, energetic, like this fabulous personality. And as high as it is, it is equally low. And she has been the queen of temper tantrums for a long time. And you know, she's almost five, so she is outgrowing it, but still she can teach if anyone has a 2 or 3 year old she can teach you your kids some lessons on how to do it well she's really good at it um, but she's really really wonderful in those worst years of it um, nobody believed me I swear nobody believed me because she's wonderful. And here at church, she's wonderful. She has this fabulous personality. And nobody believed me how terrible she could be. And how awful those temper tantrums were. And so do you know what people told me? I get it the most because she loves me the most. <laughs> right? <clears throat> I know you know that. And it's true, isn't it? The people you have the strongest love for, you maybe have the strongest Anger or the strongest hurt, like, your negative emotions are as strong as your love are. And I think Jesus knows that when he's telling us that. Um, just to get you talking now, as you're thinking about anger, I know this is, you know, Jesus brings it up right off the bat because he knows it includes everybody. This is for all of us. Let's just think about our own personal anger and not about the people we're angry at. But what happens to you when you're angry? What does anger look like in your life? I think we all kind of live it out a little differently. It comes out of us differently. So for you, what does anger look like to you in your family? How do you tend to act when you're angry? So let's just take some time to go around your table and just open that up a little bit. What does anger look like in you? Okay? So you've got this going now of what anger maybe looks like for you. And I want to just add to it, I guess, a little bit. So, you know, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, that's the love chapter, right? Love is patient, love is kind, love is on and on. So one of those lines in there, it's 1 Corinthians thirteen five says, Love is not easily angered. And it keeps no record of wrongs. So, let's add that into our thinking. Um, It's not easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrongs. Now, I really believe that Jesus is not saying, or wait, I'm going to do double negatives. Um, He's not saying never be angry, right? That's not really it. and he's not saying never have strong emotions, and I think this is tricky for women because we kind of get a bad rap of like being too emotional, and like either we're too emotional and we're weak, or we're too strong, and then that's bad. And um, we also get a lot of messages to be gentle, to be kind, to be a servant, to be kind of. S- Stoic in our emotions, like that's—we get a lot of talk that that's how we should be. And I don't want you to misread this. Jesus isn't saying don't feel anything or only have like happy, clappy thoughts about everything. Like that's not what he is saying here. Um, I think, of course, I think that's just part of the world, part of relationships that God certainly knows. I mean, He Himself gets angry, so there. Emotion is good. That's how he made us. So then, but what is he saying? And I think he's saying more be like God, who is slow to anger. And I think um, if we're slow to anger, we will find ourselves in conflict less. I think that's what Jesus is going after for us, is that we would... Not that we would get out of conflict better. And if you are, have a short fuse and you are quickly angered and you fire up quick, you deal with conflict more than somebody else does, right? Because you're always going. So just add this piece now to the conversation around your table. This question number three. Are you a quick flare-up kind of person? Do you have a short fuse, you know, the opposite of slow to anger? Um, Or are you, do you keep a record of wrongs? That forgive but don't forget? Do you keep a long list? So you can think about this in terms of yourself. But I think to just think about it in, in the relationships that you have. I know you've experienced these things. I sure have. I like immediately relationships go like, that person's like that, that person's like that. Like we know this. This is how we interact with each other. I want to ask you this. What impact does that have on your relationships when somebody is has a short fuse, fires up fast, maybe even reconciles fast, but it's high and then low, and you go back and forth? Um, what about those people who hold a grudge? Or what about you? Do you hold a grudge? What does that do to your relationships? Okay, so that's the question. What impact does all that have on your relationships? Enjoy. <laughs> The passage Jesus says, you've heard it said, do not murder, and I tell you, don't be angry with anyone either. Now, I believe this passage is really much more about conflict than it is about anger. And that's where we're going to go now. Um, So remember we've been talking about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. And how our lives look different in the kingdom of God than the rest of the world. And in God's kingdom... We said it's not different because there's no conflict and because that would be like numb relationships, right? It's we still have emotion, we still deal with people. Of course, there's going to be conflict. There, that's not the part that's different. The part that's different in the kingdom of God is what happens when there's conflict because conflict is inevitable and it can, in the world, and what. Jesus knows by saying this, is that the one way anger can go and conflict can go is that it, it builds up and it turns into anger and it broods bitterness, right? Don't you like feel it? like it's cooking within you, that anger? And it's incredibly destructive, right? When anger brews within us, it's incredibly destructive um, to us and to the other person. And I that's why Jesus knows it goes right to murder. If we're not actually killing the person, we're thinking about it. And, <laughs> I mean, and even if you were never going to go that far to like end them, the relationship gets murdered. The relationship is destroyed when anger broods like that and it builds up. Um... So remember First Corinthians says, don't keep a record of wrongs. I think that's don't allow the buildup. That anger is not really so much just like one big moment. It's really many moments building up, building up, and that each one gets worse and worse when we allow that. And Jesus knows that the way that you're going to not let that happen is don't, don't keep track of that list. Don't have that list against somebody. In this passage, now Jesus will go forward in Matthew to tell us how to go about that. And that, you'll see, is in reconciliation. So let's read, let's go back to Matthew chapter 5, verse 23, we'll pick that up. It says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother is something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you've paid the last penny. So you see, this portion is this why I think he's really talking about conflict more than anger. Is He's really talking about reconciliation, and that in God's kingdom... We don't destroy each other. We don't destroy the relationship. We reconcile the relationship. Um, So, what's the trick to reconciliation? There is none. You have to do it. (laughs) You actually have to go to the person. You have to actually deal with it. Um, As I was reading this, I just was like overcome with like, well, there's nothing like overly spiritual about this, right? It's like either you can brood bitterness against somebody or, you can seek reconciliation. Which one will you choose? In God's way, he, go, he wants you to reconcile. Um, now, did you catch, though, in this passage we just read, so first he says, don't kill anybody, don't be angry at anyone. Then, he switches it and says, but if somebody's angry at you, or if someone's taking you to court... Did you catch? So now you're the object, you're the one being called a fool and scum, and it just got turned on you. You're the bad guy in this reconciliation scenario. So in case you weren't angry before, right, doesn't that go like, it stirs you up right away, right? Be like, don't be angry at me. I didn't do anything wrong. You're being taken to court in this scenario. This is not good news. And I think that Jesus knows that about this, right? Either you're being nasty to somebody else, or they're being nasty to you, and that stirs you right up too. Like it just goes around and around and around. And he knows that. That's why he calls us to reconciliation. It's critical that even if you're the one in the wrong, you can't let that other person stay angry. It makes you angry, and we get out of control. Reconciliation must be sought immediately. Um... We're gonna flip to in Matthew there's another section about this, Matthew eighteen. If you wanna flip a couple pages, to Matthew chapter eighteen, he talks a little bit more about reconciliation. This one he gives some tips on how you're gonna what you're actually going to do to reconcile. So it's Matthew chapter eighteen, starting in verse fifteen. Says, If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every manner may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. So here's some direction on how to actually go about reconciling that I think will be helpful to us. Um, In both conversations, this part and then back in the Sermon on the Mount, in both cases, you're the one to initiate the conversation. In Matthew chapter 5, you're the one being taken to court, and you're the one in trouble. In this one, in Matthew 18, it's someone sinned against you. And in both scenarios, you initiate the conversation. So the responsibility is always on us to do something about it. Um, So that means in no situation is it appropriate to, like, give the silent treatment or wait for somebody to come crawling back to you, begging for forgiveness. Um, That is not an option in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, you initiate a conversation. You seek reconciliation. You don't wait for them to come crawling back to you. So so just to, like, sum up the tips, and uh, if you just about the note guide, since I didn't give you any of this, feel free to take notes. This might be helpful to you. Jackie is down. The first thing he says to do is to go alone, one-on-one, to reconcile. Um, This is interesting because I think with social media, we have become... We like got crazy with this, didn't we? Um, Because we're not to be passive-aggressive. Like, you know, how many of you have Facebook? Do you... uh, Okay, you know, right, the people who go, dear person who cut me off, you drive me crazy, and I hope you get an answer today. And, right, like people say nasty things, but it's never direct or... Even if it's... I've seen plenty of ones that are like, well, I guess your friends are only there when they get something out of you. Like, Right? Haven't you read those things? It's so passive-aggressive, right? It's anger, brooding bitterness against people. And that's not how we're supposed to be. We're supposed to go directly to the person and seek reconciliation, not bringing in anybody else, not being nasty. Right? Facebook. Oh, Facebook. I privately, too, is the most respectful way, and Jesus knows that. He doesn't want us to, like, bring in, gang up on each other. If that doesn't work, he says you can bring somebody else with you. Like, now we're, like, getting into an intervention, right? You bring someone with you to try and, like, work this out. If that doesn't work, then you bring in more people. But ultimately, it is that we are to be reconciled with people, and this is a healthy way to do it not being nasty on Facebook or avoiding phone calls or sending nasty text messages in the middle of the night. <clears throat> You're supposed to go to the person. These directions are really very specifically to believers. That when Jesus is saying this, he means among the church. That we would be, this is how we're going to do it. But I think it's a good practice for anybody, don't you think? It's so much healthier to go to the person and try and work it out. Um, otherwise, it does, we brood anger, it turns into gossip, it turns into slander, it just keeps snowballing until it's out of control, and the relationship gets destroyed, and we need to really work to avoid that. Um, Forgiveness and reconciliation is always the goal. So, here, to get you talking again, have you ever reconciled with anyone? Do you have experience in this? I wonder how did it go? Um, Have you ever gone through these steps? Have you done this... um, if that is not on your mind and all you're thinking is you're having that burning feeling in your gut of like, oh my gosh, I have to reconcile with that person? <laughs> Go ahead and talk about that. <laughs> Who do you need to reconcile with? Maybe why haven't you yet? Why aren't you doing it? Like, when we're reading this it also sounds like, yeah, that is the nice, easy, that is the good way. I will reconcile. Why haven't you? <laughs> I know it's more complicated than that, right? So go either way. You can talk about either question. Have you already done this, or who do you need to do this with? So go ahead. Okay. So this section, what we've been dealing with now, has been it's been all about the relationships that are close to us, the so ones that are often the most intimate for us. Um, it's also very much. To us as believers in dealing with other believers, um, and obviously it works. Reconciliation works best when we like have the same goal in mind. When we both want to reconcile, when we both want to forgive, when we both want to move on. Obviously, like that works better than the person who wants to like hold it against you the rest of their lives, right? So that this is just like one one example of relationships. Now we're going to move on. There's another kind of relationships that Jesus gets at. Um, We're going to first read. We're still in chapter 5, but now we're going to skip over to verse 38. We're going to skip over the marriage stuff and come back to that another time. So chapter 5, verse 38 says, You have heard that it was said, Eye for an eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Now this section is really about retaliation. And there are... There are some relationships where reconciliation is just not really possible because of the nature of the relationship. These might even be intimate relationships, but where reconciliation is not possible. Um, In those relationships, you might be tempted to get that person back for the pain they've inflicted on you, right? Um, Where you figure, well, I guess we'll never be close, but... um, it's not even possible or right to have a relationship with this person anymore. But at least I hope they feel equal pain for the pain they inflicted on me. And that at least would make me feel better if they just suffer a little bit too. Um, right? You've thought that, haven't you? <laughs> and um, maybe even you've gone so far as to take pleasure... In somebody spending eternity in hell. Right? Like I know that's severe, but I know sometimes it's that bad. And we go, I hope they burn in hell for that. Right? This is where this is going, this retaliation. And we we all have thoughts like that sometimes. And this law from, this is from the Old Testament of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That was to make retaliation fair. Okay, So that you couldn't say, you hurt me, I'm going to take out your whole family. Right? There's plenty of people still today who think like that. There's plenty of religions and countries that this is normal practice. You hurt me, I'll hurt you ten times. And so... This was, then, God's way from early on in the Old Testament was, no, we're, we're going to be different. We're going to be fair. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Okay? So that was radical right there. But now Jesus ups it, right? And he says, um, you can't retaliate at all. If they want something, give it to you. If they slap you, let them have the other cheek. So, this is tricky, right? Because is Jesus just giving us over to abuse? Because that's what it sounds like, doesn't it? If someone's going to hurt you, let them hurt you again. Tricky. What I believe he's saying, though, is that when someone's taking advantage of you, um, if if you're the victim... He says, instead of being the victim, become the servant. Okay? <clears throat> when someone's trying to use you or take advantage of you, show their power over you, he says, serve those people. And now it's like crazy radical, right? <laughs> um, but think about it. It's exactly what Jesus did for us. While we were still sinners, living in sin, hating God, fighting against him, really saying, I got this, I don't need you, trying to lord power over God. When we were in that place, he became our servant, and he gave himself to us. So really what he's saying is... Be like me. Become a servant. Okay. Let's just read a little bit further now. The next section of this. and Pick it up again in verse 43. He says, You've heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are you not are not even the tax collectors doing that? If you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So, God loves unconditionally. We know that. He, That's that. He sends the rain on the good and the bad. He's blessing the good and the bad. He loves unconditionally. Um, and it's, it's not because that by becoming servants, it's not because we're wet noodles and doormats and we just let people walk all over us. That's not what it is. What it is, is we're children of the King. What that person thinks about us and does to us, it doesn't change who we are. They might think we're terrible, but we're children of God. And so because of that, it doesn't matter what they do to us. We can still serve them, because that's who we are. Um, so this new kingdom living, it's so radical and powerful, right? That we'd be reconciled. And then serving people who are literally hurting us and taking advantage of us. And I just wonder, it starts me going, what if your family... What if your family was like this? What if your workplace was like this? What if your neighborhood, what if the relationships worked like this? What would that look like? Um, what if our church did this? How does this uh, non-retaliation translate with the jihadists? Like, what do you mean? Well, are we supposed to serve them who are chopping off our stuff? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this, right? It's so radical. It's so extreme, right? Absolutely. What do we make of this, right? <clears throat> um. Oh, her question was what do we do with the jihadists who are beheading Christians? Are we supposed to pray for them? Or what are we supposed to do with them? Are we supposed to serve them? We can pray for them, but are we supposed to serve them? Well, I think that's. Yeah, that's what he says to do. And I'm totally with you of like, what? <laughs> but at the same time, this is not the first time Christians are being killed. They were being killed then too, right? And it's definitely something that we have to wrestle with how to do this. And I agree, this is this is getting extreme, right? Do so you want to say something?
1: No. No, no. Behind behind
0: no, no, behind you. No, no, behind you. The women in Turkey I saw, uh, I don't know, maybe a week ago, less than a week, that... And that's, I mean, I don't know that we can get into all of that. Um, it's certainly complicated of what do we do with all of this. Um, but I don't think that we can just overlook. And I don't think it's it would be wise of us to, I don't know, like, look for the exception to the rule. At the same time, it's so complicated. And it, this is like, you have to like... Exactly. And we are modeling Jesus. He is who we follow and right, he, Absolutely. He, Jesus, gave everything. Remember what he did for us. Let's keep going because maybe we'll get to... I know this stirs up a lot. <laughs> oh, I know it. Um, <clears throat> but this is what he's saying. And it is, it is incredibly difficult. And... Like, what you women are bringing up is in another part of the world. It also raises the question, what if one of you here is going home to be abused? We This is real everywhere. And what does it mean to serve our enemy? It's not just the people we don't really like. Enemies are actually against us, right? And this, he says, serve them. And I don't think it means serve. Serve. I don't know that you have to be in the same room with somebody to serve them. That I don't think he is handing us over to our abusers. But I think we need to go deeper, and it's more radical than we think it is. Um, let's. Okay. So this is good. So question number five on your guide is: Let's think about someone we're reconciling. Think of someone. For you personally, where reconciliation is not possible. Um, And and maybe it is, like I was thinking, like your examples, like an organization or groups of people where we are totally against them, and they are totally against us. How, or maybe maybe it's even more personal, like a business, maybe a doctor, politicians, like those kinds of things. But I think the people in our lives, too, who we are close to, I know I have family members, where reconciliation, I don't know it's possible. How do we not retaliate, though? Um, Remember that we're to be peacemakers and servants. How can we do that and not seek revenge? So I think just at your table, let's just continue this discussion for a little bit. I know the temptation is to go to the horrible things in this world where actually we are not connected to it all. And there are lots of situations that are personal for us. And I think it would do us well to consider how we can deal with this on the more personal, local level. Okay? So there's your question. Think of somebody where this this is an issue for you. And how are you going to be a peacemaker and a servant and not a revenge seeker? Okay? Go ahead. Good luck. (laughs) Okay, so how are you doing with this? Um, I wonder how you're doing overall with this whole lesson. (laughs) This one is hard, right? It's hard and it's convicting. And the whole time I was studying this, I just kept reading it. You know, I don't know if you know this one where you study these. I don't know about the other one, but I bet. I don't know. I'll read it so many times. I'm reading the same pages over and over and over and over and over and over. And And all I kept thinking was, this is too hard. This is just too hard. We can't do this. Um, It's really, like, kind of just impossible. And Jesus has raised the expectation too high. And, um, if you, what, like, really sealed the deal for me was, um, Right before Jesus gets into this passage about murder and anger, in verse 19, he says, in case you are going to like, oh, it's okay, I'm sure it's not as bad as we think we'll be okay. He says, anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. And I went, well, that's it. We're duped. <laughs> this is, you can't even like skate over it. And that is very first thing after don't you dare break even one of these. You can't even be angry. And that's like, that's just, that rises up within us sometimes without us even knowing it. It's just there. And, but I want you to remember where the Sermon on the Mount started. Because, remember, I just, I firmly, firmly believe that with, in God's kingdom there is no condemnation. There is no there is always hope. There is always hope with Jesus. In the kingdom of this world, will be destroyed. You can see, just relationships alone will destroy us. But in God's kingdom, there's hope. And remember, where we, where Jesus starts the Sermon on the Mount, is the Beatitudes, and it says, "Blessed are the poor in spirit." And are you feeling poor yet? <laughs> Blessed are the meek. Are you feeling meek? Are you feeling like this is too much for you? I wonder, are you hungering and thirsting for the righteousness of Jesus and the righteousness of relationships? Aren't you? Don't you want it? I want it. I'm overwhelmed by it, but I want it. Um, good. That's where you're supposed to be. That's where we should get to. If you're thinking, I've got this i got relationships, I'm good, I'm right, they owe me anything. You don't need a Savior, and Jesus wants us to need Him, because that's the only way He can save us, is if we need Him and call on His name. And reading through this, all it makes me say is, I need you, Jesus. I can't do this myself. And it's only by God's power that anyone can live like this. This is beyond us. It is only when we call on the name of Jesus, He fills us with His Holy Spirit, that we can do this. It's the Holy Spirit that helps us reconcile our relationships. It's the Holy Spirit that softens our hearts and allows us to forgive people who've hurt us. It's the Holy Spirit that gives us strength to set down our victim label and serve somebody. Especially someone who hates us and is opposed to us. He alone gives us unconditional love. For the worst people, he alone puts that in us. I don't know that we can muster that up on our own. It's the Holy Spirit within us. I And also, he's the one who gives us the words to pray. For the people are your enemies close to us and far away, and all you think is, I hope you burn in hell. He gives us the prayers to know that that person needs Jesus just as much as anybody else, and that Jesus came for them and died for them too, just as much as he did for us, and that we would pray that our enemies, not that they would get what's coming to them, but that they would see salvation, because that's what this is about. Um... Jesus is the one who makes us merciful, pure peacemakers. That's what happens at salvation. And, I mean, merciful right there just implies that the other one has wronged us. And that we're offering undeserved reconciliation and forgiveness. That's what mercy is. That he would make us pure. That we would be slow to anger. That we would refrain from keeping a record of wrong. That we would not retaliate, but that we would serve somebody. And that we would become peacemakers. And not just peace dwellers. It's not like, well, there's conflict here and there's peace here. Which one will you live in? There's conflict anywhere. Will we be destructive or will we be peacemakers? And that it will take effort to be peacemakers. And that's who he wants us to be. He wants this to characterize our relationships. And... It's possible, or he wouldn't have said it. He says, in our weakness, he is strong, right? He does this. And when we repent of doing relationships our way, when we're looking at the relationships according to the kingdom of this world, and we go, I don't want to do relationships anymore like that. Help me, Jesus, and we repent. He will help transform us and how we work in our relationships. Um... On the other side of it, relationships are obviously incredibly good. Otherwise, God wouldn't put us in here. He would have just let us be loners, just one-on-one with him forever. But he knew that relationships, as terrible as they could be, I think they can be also just as life-giving. And that is our purpose here, right? Is that we're the believers, we're the community of brothers and sisters. Like, these should be the good ones. And... I wonder, do we help each other with reconciliation, with serving? Do we help each other, or do we encourage hate and encourage um, conflict? Do we encourage each other, just walk away, pull the plug, be done? Or are we encouraging servanthood and unconditional love and prayer for those who are far away from God? So just... The, this is our, the last question for us then. How can we help each other with this? We should be helping each other. Nobody should have to go at this alone. Um, so I want you to think about what do you need from the community of believers? What do you need from your friends to help you do this? And I don't know, I think that's kind of a personal question for each person to think about. But if you know you just need help with something, If you could communicate that, this is the place where you're going to find people to help you. This is where it's at. And God gave us community on purpose. So think about, and if you could share at your table, what you think would be helpful to you. Also, if you know you could bring something to the table, how could we help each other? I want us to just like maybe brainstorm at your table. Think about what you need. Think, what could we do? That we would have radical living in our relationships. What would that look like? So, go ahead at your tables. We still have plenty of time. So, talk for a couple minutes and then, yeah. How can we help each other? Go ahead. (laughs)